0: Hey, good morning, Bruno. How are you? Fine, thank you. (laughs) Great. I wanted to have you on today to talk about the awesome project you were involved with, Scare. Mm -hmm. 3D printing, it's not concrete, alternative materials. Uh, It's a technology used often for NFTs and silly digital items, but instead of making something purely in the metaverse, you brought it to life uh, in the real world. So I'd like to ask you a few questions about that today. Uh, Super cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, my pleasure. So how did you get involved with that project?
1: So um, in 2020, we found, or I found together with my uncle, who has a 3D printing company. I found a um, 3D printing company for architecture and art. And we basically tried to industrialize a lot of different technologies. Um, one is a concrete technology that is uh, in powder bed basis and makes huge concrete elements. And then other technologies involve like robotic FDM systems, WAM systems and these types of um, alternative materials that you, we don't hear so much about in the construction industry. And um, yeah, so there was this artist called Peter Lang, who lives in, uh, who lives in the area, who's quite famous, and um, one of our uh, CFOs, he's an art collector, so they got in touch. And this guy normally makes layer abstract layer paintings with um, basically by snipping a, a, a rubber band on a on a painting uh, on a on a canvas, and by applying different pigments he would make layers that would make abstract landscapes. And we basically got talking. And I said, "Look, we are also doing layers in a way. Um, you should we just also imagine what's behind like a two D line. And if you would do that, you could make." insane sculptures so then he started imagining what could be behind his lines and he in the first project we did together which was called Garuda he made um he basically wanted to draw every layer by hand so he used big canvas that were big see-through and he would draw with charcoal like these um, really crazy lines that we would then analyze and and uh, run let an AI run through run over them and um, get an, a robot path from that, from the charcoal drawing. And this robot path would be then later used to 3D print. Wow, this, when you
0: said drawing by hand, I was picturing the Oculus handheld items that are in the video, but he was really using a physical marker, a charcoal pen, pencil.
1: Yeah, in the first, in the first project he did, and then we said, man, this takes way too long. We have to kind of um, adjust your workflow, and then we, use the oculus and 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 created like uh an interface for him so that he could pick his color palettes and he would then just draw in vr and we would kind of lock his we would kind of lock him also a bit so that the robot would be able to, to print all of this
0: yeah that makes sense so there were limitations on what he could uh where he could draw so that the robot would be capable of creating the object
1: yeah exactly so First of all, we locked him in a plane, so he could only draw basically again Mm two D. Which we now in the the next project we try to get give him more freedom. But we also had to learn, and um, yeah, and then also of course we basically showed him the space where the that the robot could actually work in because Mm -hmm. we knew we would have a stationary robot in a in in the museum. So um, yeah, this we all had to give to him so that he could actually create his piece of art
0: were there any coded rules about
1: overhangs? Yeah, so (laughs) my rule for him was, uh, he already knew this from the first project. I told him, you can't have one line be further away from the other than your thumb's thickness. So he always used his thumb um, and the thumb, you know, in 3D would be the maximum overhang. (laughs) Sure, And like this, he understood, but then he basically with, because the first project already took like five hundred hours to print, and um, he basically became like a bit of an FDM expert. <laughs> and then the next one, he understood what was possible.
0: Wow, five hundred hours—that's a serious print.
1: Yeah, and in the museum, it was six hundred hours, and he also needed six hundred fifty hours in the in the metaverse to actually create the artwork. So it was that done over
0: eight-hour shifts during the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we had like we had to apply to museum rules because we had some. We had two two people, one for the robot, one for the material flow. Yeah, and also wow. the material flow was quite interesting because we had two robots working together. One of them was like a um, a small um, a human interaction robot that would basically play an organ. So we had like this color organ, different colors that where he would just go and grab some some colors and and then mix them together with the with the base material which was a wood a lignin uh, material lignin based exactly and then the small rower would send the material through a pipe to the big one and this would create this pretty crazy color change Um, interesting the the best would be to just check out the the video
0: (laughs) yeah definitely the the material lignin based so it feels kind of like a wood?
1: Yeah, so um, for like the company that, that did this, the company that we found is called additive tectonics. And and our um, the goal is actually to use sustainable materials. Also in our concrete and powder bed systems, we try to slowly move away from, um, from Portland cement and go to like magnesium oxides like Enrico Dini did, or um, we go to geopolymers. So that we um, kind of get a better carbon footprint into this game. Because I think this is one of the big issues that concrete 3D printing has today. Yeah,
0: certainly. So as far as the print time goes with the lignin-based material, it's not a concrete. So it doesn't set, right? What's the uh, mechanism like?
1: Yeah, um, the mechanism is basically like a thermoplast. It's really similar to, to an FDM print. We don't use filament, we use granulates. Cr- like basically we have an industrial grade extruder. Yeah. that heats up the material to like uh, 200 degrees. And, um, mm-hmm. and then you basically kind of like with concrete where you, where you always have to um, look for the curing and look that the, that the concrete is hard enough. Here you have the same thing, but it's more like you have to check that it's cool enough. Mm-hmm. It's the same with most of the 3D printing welding techniques where also in warm, you have to always basically measure your your heat.
0: So it's a temperature-based chemical reaction.
1: Exactly, yeah, a thermoplast uh, reaction. And uh, basically, the, the lignin in the wood is um, behaves really similar to a thermoplast. In this material, there's a bit of um, um, biopolyester so that you can melt it nicely, but it's mostly... It's mostly lignin and you can basically almost treat it like a thermoplast
0: how does the uh say specific heat transfer compare to concrete or wood
1: Mm, i mean the specific heat transfer that's a that's a good question Uh, so for sure it insulates better than than like a, um, a concrete but I think to wood, it's very similar. It kind of depends on the wood type, because there are wood types that that have a higher lignin percentage, and some have a lower one. Mm. Um, and um, I'm I'm not really sure how, um, how much the the lignin, um, <laughs> I I'm not sure about the heat transfer. But I can only tell you that it's, that the melting point is at around uh 160 degrees. Then it starts to to get really melted and then you can also burn it um, we overheated it a bit to get like this very rough texture which the artist liked yeah
0: that's 160 degrees isn't very hot it, on, with the right angles the sunlight with enough mirrors could reach that temperature i think
1: yeah exactly so i i don't think this is a, a good construction material we basically use this as for example uh formwork uh, you can use it or for artwork or stuff that's inside or um 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 furniture yeah. I'd like
0: to see it used in construction because concrete is such a cold hard material and having something like wood is much more human and much more comfortable
1: Yeah so um with we we are developing a technology that's called SCA selective cement activation and it's a it's a powder bed system um very similar to D-shape um, it's just faster and higher resolution and um, the the cool thing there is we basically use wood as um, as the base material. So we don't use sand anymore, we just use use wood scraps mm. and we bind them together with, with magnesium oxide. So basically a different type of cement. And these uh, things, so ba- the first good thing is that the magnesium oxide basically makes the wood um, fire resistant. And uh, the second thing is that the fibers in the wood basically take up and can take the the tension a bit better. So you basically reinforce it and make it a bit more sustainable at the same time. To use this outside, you would need geopolymers. But if you want, I can show you a bit about this uh, thing.
0: (laughs) Sure, let me turn on screen
1: share. Okay.
0: Okay. So, uh... So powder bed extrusion, it's not extrusion because you're not printing the material from a mixer pump system. You have a, a bed filled with a uh, particulate. Sometimes it's a powder dust. You're using a wood dust, uh, like sawdust and it's spraying some kind of activator that binds it together and creates a monolithic structure.
1: Yeah, pretty similar. And um, so it's called selective cement activation because you only activate... Uh, you only spray an activator which in this case is water or salt water and basically wait, let me go through. so this is the powder bed it's like uh, 2.5 meters by four meters by one meter so mm-hmm. it's uh it's made to make prefabricated concrete elements that you can still transport on the road and um then here you see that it's here you see the print um bed and and the uh, um the the cement or the binder is mixed in with the powder itself, so basically you just spray water uh, onto it, and to activate the cement in the in the thing. And wow. then this is this is how our hall looks like. This is our mixing setup, and here's the printer. It's a real construction hall. And then, what do so, you need to so, mix? Sorry.
0: What do you need to mix?
1: Ah, um, we basically developed our own mixer. So, um, the here
0: sawdust it, and the accelerant
1: yeah so so you mix the sawdust together with the binder which is uh, cement um, or magnesium oxide which is both uh, a mineral binder it, it all depends basically what material you want to you want to bind together and then we have some additives like um, uh, cellulose to keep the water in place you know when you dribble the, the water onto the part of it you want to keep it where it is and you mix all of this together, and we had to develop this all by ourselves because it needs to be very precise so that the process works. And normal normal construction tech isn't as precise, so yeah. we developed the, our own thing. And then what comes out is like um, wow, can be very like can be very complex, which in my opinion this is what 3D printing brings to the table, and it's very fast. So we print a thing like this in three hours, which is construction speed.
0: Yeah, that's great. You could do 15 of these while you're doing one scare project.
1: <laughs> Easy. <laughs>
0: and I'm sure you could even increase the build volume. Uh, is it spraying the water across the entire surface at once or does it go in one line gradually?
1: Well, I can, I can show you a video maybe um, so.
0: It's a little similar to Enrico Dini's process
1: exactly yeah it's uh, it's basically the version 2 of the Wikipedia. so here you see it's just one big print head that prints it in, in one goes.
0: yeah that's very cool so extending the build volume uh in the wider axis wouldn't even necessarily increase the print time for a bigger object
1: exactly the the only thing that uh, sorry i need to go back to the presentation uh yeah so, um, um so, right now, we just made that machine four meters long and two and a half meters wide because most um because basically, we thought in stories, you know, like one story high is mm-hmm. normally like smaller than four meters. But we already have some project that where the stories are higher, so we could make it more long. But the problem is transportation. So our technology is made to have to fabricate um to fabricate prefabricated parts, prefabricated elements that need to be transported on site. So um, for that, you basically have the restriction of the road and the roads in Germany, uh, you can't really transport stuff that's that's wider than like three meters. So we, we stick to that. Yeah, and then here you see how, the, how the, the wood looks like bound. And then you can also use brick chippings and sand and it all changes the material properties, and it changes the the aesthetics of the of the final part. Yeah,
0: that's very cool. So you're printing in the warehouse, and it gives you a huge control over the uh, accuracy and definition of the print. The resolution is much higher than an inch printed concrete layer.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like I'm. I studied architecture and then and, and, uh, automated like construction automation. Let's go like this, and um, uh, in, like I always thought that the that the real benefit in 3D printing comes from a uh, uh, function integration. Like you take multiple functions from the from from a, from a building and you intelligently place it into a part, and to do that you need to you need to have you need to be able to make a very complex element. You know, because it needs to fulfill so many functions. and this complexity you can only really achieve through um, through resolution. So our resolution is between one and three millimeters and uh, of course, when we go up with the re- resolution, the whole process is quicker. but um, uh, we, we think that like in the end, I imagine like elements that are that kind of, you know, look like this, where you have uh, uh, in one wall, you have very um, you you have you integrate structures that are there to insulate and other structures are there to be load bearing. And, and then maybe you integrate also some furnitures and, and, and these types of things. I think that's very important.
0: Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, construction automation is interesting because it's not really it doesn't really exist yet. Uh, your system is, I think, well, let me ask this. How long can the dry material sit? The,
1: the dry material, like, it kind of depends. With with cement, it for sure um, cannot sit as long as with magnesium oxide. But uh, one month, it can sit inside the silos. Yeah, that's really but,
0: fantastic.
1: The 3D printed
0: concrete uh, that extrudes from a hose and mixer pump it requires you to mix the material the exact same time that you're printing the material and you can't leave it uh, for any extended period of time. So it's it's a challenge that you can't split between days, uh, which adds a lot of complication to the project. So in many ways, your system, after the material is mixed, seems much more automated.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. Like. We are a serious, like we we try to be a serious um, um, concrete element manufacturer, and um, to do that, you need a high level of automation. Like you can't have um, be dependent on like clogged pipes or that stuff is not regulated. Like in our case, everything is regulated, documented, weight so that we that we can um, actually automate this 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 process in in the correct way and there are so many little screws that you can turn like depending on the concrete mix for example we can like depending on the conc- on the cement that we use we can unpack our element after after 30 minutes or after like a week like the, you know this is like it changes the whole the whole automation setup and the whole the way that you have to store your materials and anything so in my opinion, we need to tackle all of these issues very seriously to be able to compete with the existing construction industry. Yeah,
0: yeah. it seems like a very high-end product, certainly, with all the, the detail, uh, the resolution. Um, the materials don't sound wildly expensive, yeah. uh, that's which is really nice. Did you develop the equipment yourself or purchase
1: it from some supplier? Mm-hmm. So you have to imagine like this, um, (laughs) let's talk a bit of history. So um, when I started architecture, Enrico Dini was uh, basically just um, getting into the spotlight and showing his uh, 3D prints. Mm -hmm. And I was super fascinated. I was like, man, this is is really cool. And this is how we should make houses in the future. So I went to my uncle and said, who had a 3D printing company and said, we should print houses. And then he said, Never <laughs> but this was maybe fifteen years ago or something and um and then I said okay let's let's try it anyway and I went to TU Munich and and studied there and there I met some people like especially claudius henke and 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 some other, uh, uh, Loke, some people that are right now um like steering a big group um of researchers that are developing a lot of different 3D printing technologies for construction. One of it is selective cement activation, but they also do extrusion, they also do paste intrusion, they do Intel printing, they do really crazy stuff, but all on a research level. So then uh, when I was done with my um, with my uh, university, I actually wanted to do a PhD, like almost everybody, in at least in, in, in Germany in this field. And then um, I said to my uncle, can I do a PhD, an industrial PhD? I work at the company and at the same time I investigate some large scale 3D printing technologies. And he said, hey, you can do it. And then I showed him the technology that we were working on. And basically we decided that it makes more sense to start a company and take this technology and make it big, industrialize it instead of um, doing another PhD. So um, that's much smarter, I think. (laughs) Yeah. So I think also it's the right time because you are doing great work. Like other people are doing great work. There's a lot of focus right now on this topic. And, um, but so we knew that we were not people that can make um, 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 building machines. So there is another company. uh, There's a group. I don't know if I should say the name because I'm not sure if they want to be mentioned yet, but it's uh, a, they make construction machinery in a very serious way for, for um, precast concrete elements. And they teamed up with Q Munich and with us, and we are um, basically developing this technology altogether. And we are more developing like the process around also how does the unpacking work? How does the mixing of the material work? How does the, um, what what are the applications? Like how much does it cost? And and all of these things that, that we know because we know 3D printing. And they really know how to make big construction machinery and so they can really tweak the machine that uh, that we can be very fast with it and speed is all that matters like speed equals costs and costs is what holds us down at the moment did they build
0: you a custom machine to your specifications or was it something that they produce already
1: so when we joined they already had like a basic setup that um where for example the dimensions were fixed because the most imp- expensive thing in this printer is the print head because it has like 2500 nozzles in like two and a half meters so for each millimeter you have a nozzle and it's really uh, crazy and this is very expensive to make this wider and um, and we said okay we're just gonna um, use it with the specifications but um the, so what they did, what we didn't know yet, was how the process would actually work. So we are all the time tweaking the machine, tweaking the the, the technology, building in different filters, different motors, like you know everything that you have to do so that the that the technology is serious. And then uh, basically once we are done, their goal is to sell the printer. Our goal is to basically sell our knowledge that we gathered now the the printing knowledge the this intellectual property that you generate with that but the main focus for us is to build houses to build architecture to to actually use this technology develop new materials for it yeah
0: yeah it's tough to uh sell intellectual property without it being stolen for very long
1: (laughs) yeah for sure yeah but but it's uh... very complicated i mean three printing in itself is I mean it looks easy when you see it you say okay you just stack sausages on top of each other easy but everybody who's been in the field and tried to make money with it knows that the devil lies in details how we say in Germany. <laughs> and uh, yeah if you don't if you have to start from zero from scratch it takes a long time until you master until you master it so it's good if you have some advisors that come in and teach you how to do it
0: yeah definitely definitely especially with something that hasn't been done before in so many regions most jobs uh it's like the first the first 3d printed house the roofers done the first 3d printed house the electricians done the first 3d printed house the window guys done so it's all uh new for all these people in construction anytime there's something new they throw a change order on and charge an extra 40% so you got to write really good scopes of work and have everybody prepared for the project uh and like the 3D printing companies using gantry systems, mm-hmm. they're also relying on their early customers to troubleshoot, figure out how they actually work. They built these great machines, but it's like the tip of the iceberg. It's been unexplored thus far, all the things that they can do. Uh, was the company that you bought your machine from, did they sell a machine to Enrico Dini as well?
1: No, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it yet. Um, just check for, uh, I can't say the name maybe, but so I think that was my call. I'm sorry, I thought it was yours. Um, um, you just have to check baby blue and yellow colors and maybe you check in Italy and then you find the company that did it. Um, okay. But yeah, so I think the interesting thing was when I when I saw how how fast the development was, uh, I also asked them, like, yeah, so what what's the connection between uh, Enrico Dini and this? And basically, both the system developed very they they didn't really know from each other a long time. So then once they were developed, like they also wrote papers together, I think the people from Munich and, and Enrico Dini. but um, yeah, I, I Enrico Dini developed his machine by himself, and I think they they also um started off without. Um, without um, any contact yeah that's so. funny how
0: that works so often completely independent inventions come at the same time uh with no contact to each other it's almost like there's some ideas floating out there that people just grab onto from clouds or something
1: yeah for sure and also it, it was quite um it made sense because, you know, like we had so many binder chatting systems and 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 powder bed systems are very established in the industrial field. Like mm-hmm. there are not so many people that are doing basically FDM or extrusion-based printing. Most of them are doing powder-based because you you have such a geometric freedom. And this is what's necessary for industry. And to basically scale this up uh, is not so far away, you know, but dini was the first one to basically uh be courageous enough to to do it and also his system i think is also uh, in the concept conceptually a bit different because he he wants to build it on site mm-hmm. he wants to go there basically places it his big printer there and print a whole house in one go which in my opinion is cool if that works really cool but uh um like our stuff is more industrial. Like it's okay, you have a hall, you make perfectly prefabricated, highly complex parts in a very quick, very high resolution and, and try to compete with the existing industry. How it, does the weight
0: compare it, to a similarly sized concrete object, pure concrete?
1: How it compares in price?
0: In weight, weight, because you're using uh, the lignin, does uh, that make it lighter?
1: Yeah, so um, we, it depends, man. <laughs> it's all, always depends because we can we can change the um the aggregate so we can use sand then it has a density of maybe two so Wait, is there if, any sorry is there lignin in the powder bed system as well if we use wood yes okay so not always <laughs> yeah not always it depends on the on the aggregates that we use so if we use sand it's pretty close to normal mortar we use brick chippings expanded clay expanded glass similar like expanded glass is also used i think in the extrusion um, area field and yeah so, so we can change and tension
0: the, sorry the expanding glass does that give you strength and tension
1: no no it actually makes it more brittle but okay. it makes it lighter so, so what's the purpose for the expanding glass it makes it lighter and okay. it makes it more more insulating so if you want to have a nice insulation value then use the material. Oh, fiberglass uh, um, different it's different, like fiberglass, okay. the glass is spun into fibers, and this is basically, you, you take glass, you crush it up, and then you heat it and and roll it, and then you get like these small uh, bubbles that have air trapped inside, and these insulate really nicely.
0: Wow, cool. I never heard of that.
1: It's, it's, it's a really cool aggregate to use when you want to insulate your walls. Yeah.
0: Well... When you've been working with this technology, is there something that you personally
1: uh, tinkered with and kind of engineered? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like what what I do mostly is material development. Wow. So we, um, so in my opinion, it doesn't make so much sense in a in the world right now to go full on into concrete technologies because. I mean, we have the CO two issue. I mean, 3D printing is really cool, but concrete is a real issue. And uh, it's nice that we try to tackle these things, but um, to to tackle like cheap and affordable housing, for example, or automatic construction, but it needs to be done with um, materials that are CO two friendly and low in um, in um, energy um, usage. Yeah. So so this is why we experiment so much with like wood and, and 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 recycled materials, recycled concrete materials. We we are developing right now geopolymers for the system, which are basically um, uh, artificial stones. Like also concrete is kind of an artificial stone. And but these geopolymers they build molecular and connections. That are similar, like these long molecular connections, like a polymer would do. Mm-hmm. So you can you can tailor it really nicely to certain needs. They are stronger in compression and tension than concrete, and they use like maybe twenty to thirty percent of the CO two that concrete needs. So it's just a better material. It's just not it's not used. And in Germany, we have almost this mafia of concrete. That tries to like invade every technology, and they want to sell you their their concrete mix. And if you try to use something else, they kind of push you out, either with norms or with different things. But in my opinion, these new these new materials together with three D printing, this is a real strong um, combination. And this is, I think, how we can bring this technology into mass usage.
0: Definitely. It's interesting what you bring up like the concrete mafias and the different uh, groups that form. When I was first researching construction innovation, one of the early things that I found consistently was that partnerships are one of the biggest keys to success in uh, construction innovation. Uh, It's very hard to innovate construction alone. But these partnerships end up, everybody says their partners are the best in the world at what they do because they want to have a strong team. So they're they're lying to themselves because not everybody's the best in the world. Only one person is the best in the world. So every every concrete company partners with a materials company and they say they have the best material and the material company says they have the best printer, but it's just a bunch of like, it's a
1: circle jerk. For sure. Man, for sure. Also, the people don't even know who the players in the world are most of the time. And especially in, the, in 3D printing, the material and the technology are so intertwined that... Um, you always need a third party involved, basically, that, that knows how to translate material properties to the fabrication technology. And this, I think, a lot of people underestimated, especially in the beginning, because everybody's like, yeah, we are ready to print houses. But first of all, it's we shouldn't talk about printing houses. We should always talk about printing the, the base structure. Um, but I mean, okay, this is also a bit marketing. And um, but this I don't know, like, it's wild, wild west. It's wild, wild west. Everybody just says something. And it's so great that you do this because, in my opinion, it's so important that that people know the truth behind it and that it's also not cheap yet. Like, we need to scale it up to make it cheap. It's super easy. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's
0: why. I mean, I do it primarily because I'm curious myself. And the filming it is enough to convince the companies to talk to me and explain what's actually going on. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a lot of fun and seeing, I have a lot of faith in construction automation and that the industry will develop a, a really positive direction in the future. So when I'm having these conversations, I feel like I'm talking to the future innovating leaders of the world. And so it's like, I really have a long-term perspective of like, okay, in 30 years, let's say your company is printing all over Germany, all over Europe, maybe all over the world. And then we can look back and see this interview from 2022 when you guys were, even though you're 15 years in, relatively just getting started, uh, optimizing your systems. Um, Yeah, it's really, really fun to to watch. And I mean, I didn't mean to discount the value of partnerships. It's true that partnerships are the most valuable for construction innovation, but traditionally construction, it's not an intellectual field. uh, So they're not used to challenges based on logic. It's much more like you said, a mafia where it's like, this is my team. I ride or die, very loyal, which are great qualities, but they're not scientific qualities.
1: Yeah, for sure. I wanna I wanna add to this because you said something about partnerships and about it's not an intellectual field, and this is exactly what I what I thought is important. Like you need the right partners, but you also need to kind of get this uh, uh, intellectual um, um, capacity. So this is why, in my opinion, our like Alter Tectonics is basically a, a spin-off company of a big 3D printing company, and there you get all of your all of your um, intellectual um, input because they they have done 3D printing since 28 years. You know they 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 know about printing, and it doesn't matter if you scale it up or not. It's always like the same issues of 3D printing. So these intellectual things, also the whole Coding behind it and 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 the material sciences behind it are very important. And so I think these partner, this is a really good partner. And then you also need a partner that knows about this mafia, this mafia thing. That kind of knows, okay, look, you just need to know this person, this person, this person, then you can you get this project. You know, like this is also what we have to deal with. And I I think it's funny because right now there are companies that either do the one thing or the other thing, but nobody has yet managed to like. Um, actually bridge the gap yeah maybe maybe um i can can do it because they have such a such a momentum right now or maybe uh, like perry would would also be a a great uh, a great company to do it because they are they are so big in in germany at least yeah Uh, it's
0: nice to have a lot of construction experience it's i agree intellectuals are important to bring the technology into construction there are things that a bricklayer learns from laying a million bricks that an intellectual would never have they would never have the patience to lay one million bricks and so you need to have the intellectual with the machine combined with the guy who laid a million bricks uh and get them together on the job site mm-hmm. communicating in a way that's coherent even though I mean I forget who said it but if they say if your IQ is like 25 points apart you basically can't communicate so okay. how do you how do you bridge that gap?
1: Uh, that's interesting. I mean, hmm. I also think there are a lot of different like uh, different ty- types of intellect, and I think maybe Bricklayir has more practical uh, intellect. Um, I think for, by by, prof- by profession, you can't even um say it really. But for sure, there are more practical people, and then there are more people that work more in their heads. Um, but there need to be translators maybe in the middle that <laughs> that kind of equalize and that can ta- talk both ways. Um, but you're you're right in the in the sense that that you at least have to convince everybody that this technology is the next step, and that maybe the bricklayer like is open to learn to operate a robot or to open to operate a gantry or in our case like a part of it system and a robot. Um, but if you show them what comes out and you show them like the potential in the future, I think. This fascination that we have right now, this is the key to to get people involved from, mm-hmm. from everywhere. And I think you're doing a great job with that. And also, in my opinion, the Americans are way better than the Europeans in like being fascinated and like just doing some stuff without like overthinking it. And it's
0: in terms important. of high risk startups, Americans definitely have that one <laughs> covered. Yeah. People raise money. It's crazy. They come up with an idea on a weekend, create a pitch book deck, and then they raise $20 million, $50 million. Uh, it's insane, but they're all still around. So I don't know what's. it seems to be working. Maybe it's just a young industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what's going on. It seems crazy to me that so many companies could raise so much money and all of them be successful.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, I also think in, like, at least in Germany or in Europe, we have quite strict building regulations that make it for example we have right now a facade project which has three thousand square meter of this you know this crazy um uh, geometry i showed you it's basically a facade and one part of a facade and and there are so many regulations that you have to fulfill just to put this on a building it's really insane like
0: yeah i think that's a good thing and a bad thing because it's maybe so well defined that there's ways to do things people haven't done before. You just have to jump through all the right hoops. So it's enabled Germany to build structures that have been impossible in other regions. For example, two-story printed homes. AC-509 is a code about 3D-printed houses that says you can't have a two-story 3D-printed home. And it's the only code that exists for 3D-printed houses right now. Yeah. So uh, to
1: avoid that is very powerful. Yeah, you, you're right. Um, you're, it's It's good and bad at the same time because for sure it makes it more serious and it gives it some possibilities if you open up this field but it means that startups have to raise even more money and have to know even more have to have even more connections to actually make this possible because you kind of have to to do this you have to go to the best engineering office in munich <laughs> that that is also for example involved in developing uh, our machine and they uh, you know this is not something that that you can do just like with a bit of money like a lot of people are involved a lot of engineers a lot of um really serious people and you have to pay all of them to do this and this is why in my opinion only like when a big company jumped into this field that it made it possible to to actually do that because this opened up the the playing game so there's not so much room for like new young companies to grow and this is so cool in america that um you have young companies that 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 have this wild, wild, like it's wild, wild west, like cowboy mentality. We just do it. We just go to the front, to the frontier, and 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 be pioneers. And in Germany, it's always like, okay, if we do it, we do it serious, and <laughs> the big players are involved, and the mafia comes. And <laughs> so for us, it's a go bit for of,
0: your perfectionism in Germany.
1: Yeah, yeah, and for us, we we are kind of a startup, and we um. We try to mingle with the big big players but it's interesting how they how you get you know like. yeah
0: those big companies don't remember when they were just starting up at this point they're uh no sympathy <laughs> yes yeah well yeah so when you're have you pursued permits for buildings with your projects yet and has that been complicated
1: yeah it has yeah we have for the facade like right now, we are making um, ele- um, facade elements for, for this project. But the goal for sure is to make load-bearing um, walls and um, beams and like building elements, where yeah. you can prefabricated building elements, basically. And already for the for the facade, it has been a big issue because um we thought in the beginning that we could do it with magnesium oxide, which is the material also that, that Dean used. Um, and we know that it has a problem with water, so we said, okay, we're just gonna coat it with a big layer of coating. Basically, we fell through the first stage of the um, of the certification process, which then made us, which forced us to go into hardcore Portland cement development. And um, there, they have again different parameters, so we had to change so many things. But it looks good right now, so it seems like we have just a normal. It seems like even our anisotropy is not so much that we need a special permit. So it could be that we just get a normal permit for water construction. So that would be pretty cool, but it's a it's a hustle. Um, and there's right now this new um, um, group form that's forming that makes the D norm, which is the German norm for building. And they um, take care of 3D printing concrete norms. So our technology will soon have a real norm that deals with these issues on of anisotropy and of quality assurance and all of these things that you have to do. But for sure, normation is a big issue.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things progressing the industry in a good direction at the same time, like permitting departments becoming more mature in their understanding of uh, this technology and uh, materials developments, you're really hands on with the material. Do you see the material continuing to improve?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, the so I put a lot of hope into geopolymers, um, not just for SCA, like SCA selective cement activation is how you call this technology, but uh, also for extrusion are already interesting companies that that just build with geopolymer cement and also for paste intrusion, which is another interesting and uh, concrete technology. So um these geopolymers, in my opinion are crucial because um, they can just bind so many different aggregates. like it's a nanomaterial so you can you in my opinion, it's not just a cement but also that you need like uh, crushed sand and not desert sand for, for uh, a concrete, like there are so many issues around Portland cement that I think if you just, you, if you change the binder, you can, you can, for example, use desert sand or you can use wood, or you can use um, things that you could not build with right now. And that's very important. Um, but also um, the, in my opinion, the the, the fabrication and the material they they go together so so intensely. So I think we will have special, or we already have special cements for for extrusion, right? And I think these will improve. Um, maybe there's even a soon will be a bad weather extrusion cement. You know, when it rains or yeah, um, that's cool. Or when it's really hot, you know, you just these are the main issues right now.
0: The weather one sounds pretty challenging, but uh, it'd be nice. <laughs> anyway, The we were talking about money earlier. Did you fundraise or uh, how did you buy the first printer?
1: Yeah, so um, basically, I told you I wanted to do a PhD. And then we said, like, maybe three years ago, okay, no, let's stop with this PhD thing. Or maybe three and a half years ago, let's found this company. And then we w- I put everything together and basically um corona came and nobody did investments anymore like Mm. it was just (laughs) done and we just went to the bank (laughs) we just went to the bank and said look we need some millions to build a big hall and to put a printer inside and to do developments and they gave us like the best credit rate ever because they were just happy that people needed money like that people invested so yeah, um we didn't take on any venture capital, we just went to the bank. You just went to the bank and they gave you millions of dollars. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But of course of course it only worked because I mean you can get maybe a million for idea of this, but if it's a lot more, you need to have um you need to you need to have a partner involved. And mm-hmm. this is where the um the 3D printing company of my uncle came in very handy because they Like they do investments all the time, and then they said, "Okay, this is just uh, another investment of ours." And yeah, you have to give them some shares, but it's not like they are. It's venture capital. They are. If 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 we fuck up, they are also. It's also their problem. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when you uh, before you went full time with this venture, what were you doing?
1: Uh, I did the PhD, and before that, I I was in. I did my master's in in Stuttgart, which is Achim Menges and Jan Knippers. They're doing a lot of experimental work on construction, like a lot with fibers, carbon fibers, glass fibers, new technologies, robots, um, computational design. And a lot of people that come out from there actually venture either into startups or into uh, construction automation, or they do a PhD. Yeah is and it so fair I, to
0: say you've learned more the past 3 years working on your startup than you have in your PhD?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean the I think if you want to... in my opinion a PhD is easy compared to doing a construction startup because um, I don't know in it in the beginning it counts as experiment ex, experimental construction and you can't ensure this in Germany for example like it's um it's basically the most stupid thing that you can do if you, for example, want to earn money. Like it's really, you shouldn't do it to, <laughs> you shouldn't try to make quick, easy, fast money. With wow. this. Like It's really an investment where you can, you can only do if you believe in the cause and if you, and if you want to change how, how our world actually looks and, and, and works and, and maybe sustains itself because it, Otherwise, it would be it would be stupid to do that. You should go into digital stuff. <laughs> so in Germany,
0: if you want to work on experimental construction, you need to assume the full risk liability of uh, there's no insurance on the building. Yeah. Um, and so is that why some buildings have waited one year or so before people move in?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if that was the reason, or if that is the reason. Maybe they also managed to go around this problem. Uh, maybe they some through certain insurance or something. They they could apply that it's not experimental, hmm. but um, I think this is the reason why in Germany there are so many universities involved. You know, so that you basically are sure from all sides that this that this works. I would have but loved dad, to hear you know, the argument
0: for how it's not experimental.
1: Yeah, that, that I I've asked my my dad is a lawyer for architects and and uh, uh, construction companies, so he. When I said what I want to do, he was like, dude, please do something else.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Sometimes uh, you got to skirt around to innovate because the systems aren't built for the new things that will come in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I wonder how it would be with the normation now. And also, I mean, construction in general is so conservative. Also, already, I always thought that architects are like innovative, but then if you want them to use a new technology and they can't use their standard details and their standard things that they always use just for their normal houses, most of them jump off the ship. So I think- are you Are saying also you're an architect? I yeah, I did my, I, before I studied uh, automation in construction, I studied architecture, like classical architecture, but with the goal to print houses. So I always tried to do like, wanted to put in like new technologies, but at the university level, this was still kind of acceptable, Um, but in, in reality, only a handful of architecture offices actually know about this technology in depth. I think this is the reason why so many construction companies start to make their own houses, like, because They can't just go, like for architecture offices, too much effort to actually get to learn about this technology and apply it.
0: Yeah, I read a book called The Fountainhead about architects that made me think that uh, they all go into school with like crazy creative visions, wanting to build things nobody ever built before. And then they get into school and they force them to do all this classical copying columns and things like that. And it just beats down all of the creativity and uh, freedom and imagination that they had going into it
1: yeah for sure for sure and um, that's dark uh it kind of like you lose a bit of your freshness but um it is also because you don't really know how you want to do it like it's always bad if you just come into something with an idea and you don't really know how to yeah. execute it and because i came into it with like the way that I wanted to execute it, like I said, okay, this is going to be 3D printed. And I kind of, I really knew already how 3D printing works. I could just, you know, design something and then show them how it's done. And then this in the end is way more believable. Um, And they don't really, they can't shoot it down because you can say, okay, like, look, there is. Yeah, it's all imaginary. It
0: doesn't exist. So there's nothing to shoot down.
1: Exactly. So, So Dini was really good to give like a, I, I thought like when, when I studied architecture and I showed what I wanted to do and I showed them what Dini is doing, I thought, man, in 10 years, all of the buildings will be done like this. <laughs> and now it's 15 years later and we still have a long way to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, Dini is brilliant, but he's not a fundraiser. He's not like a startup. Uh, uh, I don't know, raising money doesn't come naturally to him. He's more interested in the technology and innovation.
1: Yeah. But you need to be both, in my opinion, to to succeed. Um, and also, I think uh, without wanting to criticize him because he's like one of my uh, uh, all time heroes, but um, uh, he he goes he ch- tries to jump too many steps at once. Like um, just because you can make like a part doesn't mean you can already print a house like this completely different universes and um i think like if you if you were to focus in beginning to make like parts until, until the system works and then put in some engineers that tweak the machine a bit then you would you would like slowly but steady develop this thing until you're able to basically put it on the on-site but so on also the perspective
0: on-site... enrico dini is much more slow and steady than like the american counterparts I think it's the American startups that really suffer from that, uh, only having the end goal in mind without understanding the steps in between. Uh, There's a lot of companies in America specifically that have had a dream of 3D printing a house and they haven't changed their rhetoric from day one to day 300, even though they know and I know that it's not how they imagined in the first day.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can completely see that. But this is really toxic, in my opinion, for the for the whole community because yeah. um, we have to grow up. Like, um, and I'm I'm I don't want to say that I'm grow up uh, grown up, but uh, I also don't tell the same story anymore that I did in the beginning because you just learn so much about, especially for me, about the construction industry that um, where in the beginning you sell the dream of a printed house and then you sell. The dream of printed uh, facades or prefabricated elements, and this is just of course you keep the end goal in mind, but you kind of have to tweak your story so that you can get up get projects that matter in my opinion there uh, like there are so little projects yet that are really on a on a good level um especially architecturally, because I feel like um we went. Really, really quickly into one direction and build like a lot of these little dwellings. And most of them look really ugly and shitty. And no architect that that is technology that likes technology. Like, there are some architects that like the technology and they think, ah, oh, cool. But then normal architects, they just look at it and say, oh, God, I will never touch this technology. Like, you kind of have to understand every, every aspect of it. Sure. And, um, Yeah, I think this is a bit bad press for the technology, because, of course, it's architects that should use it first. They are the, or civil, like, I don't know, in Germany, you have to have kind of an architect or kind of have to, you have to fall into certain design laws. And these are all made by architects. So perhaps this isn't
0: a thing in Germany, but in America, we have a saying called there's no such thing as bad publicity.
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's true. Do they say that in Germany? Uh, I, I think they, we say your wording, but
0: <laughs> I don't. No. I'm
1: not sure if it works so well in Germany. <laughs> it doesn't really
0: align with the mentality of perfectionism, but
1: <laughs> yeah, uh. I think if you would have okay, some like some architecture offices are trying to make great things with it, but most of the stuff is really, really brutal. Like it's, it's dwellings. And you have to say it's all for the technology's sake. Otherwise, from an architectural point of view, it's crazy.
0: I think I like all of the 3D printed houses that don't try to look like a traditional house. As long as they're experimenting with something new, uh, I appreciate their innovation, at least.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I appreciate the innovation for sure. Um, um, But especially the ones that... Just four walls in a box with a simple roof boring yeah like if they try to look at like the suburban home i'm like man this is also not how it's supposed to be right like if you do radical innovation for sure you change and for sure you should not try to imitate
0: yeah but people are slow to uh adjust like the first tesla's had a grill uh even though they don't need grills for electric cars but it's true That's true. People are, they take time to adjust. It's a complicated world out there, but it's interesting. You're in some construction uh, regions making facades. uh, And you've talked a lot about construction automation. So you're not just trying to print sculptures. You're mostly interested in real estate.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so basically you have to imagine the, the company like we can also talk a bit more about scare and also I can show some parts of the, of the, structure. but basically we are, uh, we want to be uh, in high tech, uh, but architecture and construction field, we just do the, the art fabrication. We do basically to test out our technology and to develop it because you actually don't have almost any regulation in art and this can really push technology. And, um, yeah, it helps us with the cement stuff. We did, for example, Angela Merkel on a horse, you know, like a, like a chief <laughs> for an artist uh, where we could test out like um, high precision printing with the technology and these things and, and test out different materials. And then- Was she,
0: uh, on... was she shirtless like another leader on a horse?
1: <laughs> it was not a Putin. <laughs> okay. Um, it wasn't a
0: replica of that?
1: No, it wasn't a replica, but it uh, it was basically a homage to a guy that wrote a book on people, like on, I don't know how you call this in English, but um, uh, leaders on horses. And he said, nobody could ever imagine Angela Merkel on a horse nowadays. Like you couldn't, you wouldn't do this anymore. And then this artist read it and he's like, I'm going to do Angela Merkel on a horse. And he did it for a European museum. And... For a mu- museum for Europe, it's called. Wait, if I if I show my if I share my screen, I can show you again. Um, uh, so
0: you printed that with the powder bed extrusion or with Scare?
1: Uh, this was powder bed. Like, look, this is Merkel.
0: Oh, this cool! Is... You could never do that with Scare.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> this is too high res. Yeah. And then this is this is her on the horse.
0: I mean you can definitely tell it's her easily.
1: Yeah. And this is this the cool thing is this is out of the printer. Like this is this is the resolution that you can achieve. So I think what's also important is like ornaments and these architectural elements that that just got lost in modernism. Like construction was never how it was before modernism. Like modernism cha- radically changed construction before that we had so many ways to to actually individualize our houses and and make them very beautiful but today it's very clean and and this clean aesthetic kind of in my opinion and also can be broken up a bit this seems like
0: uh way more uh commoditizable than the facades in terms of somebody can send you a lidar scan of themselves and you can print them a sculpture uh in five hours
1: yeah, uh, even faster. It depends how the how big your belly is. but if you if you only like um, let's say if you're only fifty centimeters, it takes us uh, um, takes us two and a half hours. And what would someone expect to pay for that? Uh, for your body? Yeah, it's printed without finishing maybe like two thousand five hundred. I think
0: that's the cheapest option to get a, a life-sized replica of somebody.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: Maybe um, you'll sell a couple of those from this podcast. Who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Like we do that. We do, um, uh, because we, we we have to hustle a bit next to it. We we do like, um, how do you call this in, in English? Um, busts. Print on demand. Print mm. on demand. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you should. So- There's no reason the printer should ever be sitting around doing nothing.
1: Exactly, yeah. So um, just for scare, like, um, so do you see the video? Yeah. Yeah, so it all started with like Peter who went around uh, Iceland and did some drawings and then we built him this interface and in this interface, he could just basically note what he saw. And there you also see that he had to draw it in like 2D, always on a plane. And this is the sculpture finished in in uh yeah. Here you see the the mixing system. It's a small robot that just takes granulate of different things. And then you see that how we overheat the material so that we get this carpet-like uh, structure.
0: And you put all those plastic pieces just to make it look cool.
1: Uh at the head. Again? Ah uh, no, 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 no. It's not to make it look cool. Like so um it sprays show you water. The show you the pieces. So one of it, so what holds the extruder is this. And this is steel. it does look cool. Yeah, this is just purely for aesthetics and to so that we when we are in the museum, we had so many hoses, so we wanted to put the hoses through the thing. Mm-hmm. And then you can't really you don't really know any anymore what's structure, what's hose. So that's clever. The and then the other thing that hangs on top um is basically uh, hot air that we that we blow onto the extruder, and um, to have it from all directions, we basically created this very um, material-saving um, structure. <laughs> Interesting. The blowing
0: hot air helps you save material.
1: No, uh, the the thing that we made is very lightweight because. Oh yeah. Yeah, and okay. and it blows through the through the things. It blows the material inside. Yeah. When will you buy your next printer? <laughs> um, good question. Actually, um, I think right now we buy mostly add-ons. We have we have um, three robots and the small the small one, and so we just bought a CNC hat because we want to CNC over the printed parts like this hybrid manufacturing is very interesting because you can make them even more precise and um we have to buy now an unpacking robot like you know afterwards after you print you have all of your elements in a big powder bed and all of this powder you can reuse you have to suck it off and for that we already did some tests and we just we basically it's all set we just need to buy the robot and then this automatically unpacks the I love to see that there's so many steps like with the 3d printed construction with the
0: mixer pump system somebody's constantly loading the mixer pump it's strenuous it makes you sweat so they're working on batch plant mixers to eliminate that and it's like downline automation getting us closer and closer to full automation
1: yeah this is exactly what we need to do because this is the big um, big thing like this is the way that you can make it cheaper than the other stuff um but it's a it's every little thing that you have to change in your setup costs so much money because it's so big (laughs) you need so many people to install like a new thing and and uh, if you just want to do a test job you have to order so such a huge load of material to just start and i think this makes it tough for startups because the primary invest is so high Especially with SCA, with powder bed systems, it's insane. You need a hall, you need a huge machine, you need a huge setup, mixing setup, blah, blah, blah. And I think with extrusion, you just need a robot and an extruder and maybe a mix, a motor pump, mixing motor pump. And then you can start and you can like hustle some money to make it bigger. So I think for startups, actually, the extrusion makes maybe in the beginning more sense. I think for the powder bed, you need more primary invest. But, long term, the fixed cost of the
0: powder bed printer uh, goes is irrelevant, and the lower variable cost of each print is a
1: benefit, yeah, for sure. I also think you can do more with the powder bed system. like
0: the resolution, especially not having to print uh, like you can kind of create a layer in thin air on the powder bed system, right? You don't need to have it over
1: another, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can stack your pieces how you want. You can do an Angela Merkel together with like uh, I don't know like a staircase or something. Uh, you can print all of this in in one go, and this is actually how we also operate in the in the industrial um, business. Like when we do prototypes for automotive industry, there's like parts of Audi, BMW, and uh, Bosch or something. You know, all mixed in one in one big print job, and you print it, and then the the magic is which part belongs to whom. <laughs> Don't send BMW the parts from Audi, you know, like that would be bad. But this is basically how part of that systems work. Yeah. Very cool.
0: So what do you your company need right now most to grow? Uh,
1: projects like uh, projects where they, where we need, so we need, um, clients, like um, clients that are fascinated by technology and just wanna do it with the technology and don't wanna like build a house and use a cheap technology. This is kills, kills, kills the technology. They've read about three printing that it makes building cheaper than they come to you and expect that you have a cheap technology to build houses. but actually you have a high end luxury, thing where you can make cool stuff and you can innovate and do like new ideas, but they expect something different. So we need clients that that think, that understand how important this step in automation and construction is and want to have the house printed like this. And it needs to be, they also need to have a high, like they need to team up with like an architect that that also then brings the best out of this technology. And then we will have a really great um, showcase where people say, ah, okay, it might cost 10, 20% more, but um, what I get is like a part of history or like a part that might better humanity.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to pitch it in terms of uh, it pulls at the ethos and it's, it's, in a lot of ways art uh because it's you're not selling it on the money it's not the cheapest way to build a house it's not going to be super easy it hasn't been done before uh but it's a it's a journey and it's a step on the journey uh that somebody gets to participate in if they purchase a product i think you should try to sell more of those busts those are really cool
1: <laughs> yeah but i really want to print houses <laughs> yeah but of course like um we kind of have to make money but um but we knew this already in, this, in the beginning when we started with the thing, because we this already was a problem in the beginning of 3D printing. And today we have injection molding techniques and vacuum casting techniques. Like casting an element is always cheaper than printing it until now. Like now we just develop a technology that comes close to injection molding from the price, but it took 30 years to go, you know, to get it's in this case, it's SLA, like stereolithography. Um, it took thirty years for it to to be at this point. And if you want to
0: do ten thousand units, it's still probably faster to do injection molding.
1: It depends on the size. So really, this is really cool. The technology, yeah, it's basically based on LED screens. So you have uh, you have a way that you um, so Stereolithography
0: with light activating the liquid in the, the volume of the print space.
1: Exactly. Um, and instead of using a laser, like normally in SLA, you use an LED screen that lights up a whole layer. But then the idea is that you don't use one LED uh, screen. You use uh, an army of LED screens. So you just flash them all on at once and do it? Exactly. That's you flash crazy. them all at once and you pull them out at once. And it's crazy how fast it goes because you make so much at the same time, you know, you just scaling it up is the thing, you know? And, and I think we will get there with construction. We will get there with, um, you know, having long lines that create more that print, like maybe you have a printhead that prints multiple um, beds at one at once. Just like when you go to a big construction element facility, they have huge bands of, 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 uh, uh elements of concrete elements that are all prefabricated all going in one line and this may what well is what makes it cheap you know if they would need to build everything uh, special once then it's, it would also be expensive but because it's all in a huge line it, it it's cheap and i think with 3d printing this will also get there but it will take maybe a bit faster because we know 3d printing already from the small stuff so maybe we can steal some um, ideas from there. But this will take some time. And until now, it, I think the next 10 years, it will be for sure more expensive than traditional construction. Hmm.
0: Let's say somebody had a big project, 10,000 meters squared uh, building. At that point, would it make sense to bring the printer on
1: site? Mm, yeah, I would say for like a concert hall or something like this, it would make sense. There's like 100, 100 tons distance.
0: of concrete or 1,000 tons of concrete.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, I think if the printer would run, let's say, half a year to a year, I, I'm not sure yet I would need to calculate it through, but then it would make sense to deconstruct it and put it on, on site and maybe mm-hmm. put a temporary hole around it, which is actually really not a big problem. I don't know what the big uh, benefit is of... Um not needing to yeah okay i don't know maybe you don't need labor anymore and we have labor shortages and stuff but for sure you could you could print next to the side with this thing and then you could also construct it bigger because you wouldn't need to use a road to put the pieces in yeah but um yeah uh would make sense we also have this in the we also pitched this to some people um when they come and want to build like a huge thing we say okay we can also bring a machine there and some silos yeah the question is what's more
0: expensive to ship all the individual pieces or the broken down printer and assembly
1: yeah exactly you have to calculate this through what's Uh, the weight
0: of the printer and all the mixers
1: I don't know (laughs) a lot some tons yeah less um, than 10 probably I don't know like i don't wanna I don't want give you false information sure. i I just don't know i I need to calculate that's it that's fine, so
0: let's say there's somebody listening who wants to be a client for a project. how do they contact you
1: first hi <laughs> um I go on uh and write me a mail or write me on linkedin or whatever um I respond day and night <laughs> and like I think for a big project, this technology can really, it's it's really interesting because we can can create a material that is, that makes, that comes from the local area. Like we don't have to make something, we don't have to use our standard stuff. We can make a mixture that's for this project, you know, with the local stuff. And then you can also bring the material, uh, bring the machine there and use uh, the material there. But it needs to have a certain scale. It needs to be, bureau building or a concert hall or something that's that's more than four stories and pretty big more than four uh, stories
0: have you envisioned a concept like that yet
1: yeah for sure i mean it's you you could easily do that if you use it yeah yeah you would need to do um i mean we already did it it's um we can use we can just print it like a lost formwork so basically we put a lot of building functions in the skin and then just for the structural part we we reinforce it with with steel and pour uh, concrete inside this is what they do also in in prefabricated uh, so
0: you inside. go four floors high with the poured concrete i was picturing like eye bars i-beams eye
1: yeah i mean you can you can build it in steel or in concrete depends what the what the um, architect's envision or what the general mm-hmm idea behind the behind the building is also steel is great. I mean, you can melt it and reuse it, it's not so bad. Uh, I actually think concrete has the most issues um, of all the construction materials because wood is kind of a carbon sink, l- at least if you don't use too much glue and if you don't burn it afterwards. Steel you can reuse, but concrete is really like a, a reaction that you that happens once and then you have this kind of composite trash. And so we are trying to to use it as an aggregate, which worked, which works really nicely, actually. But still, like the reaction is over, and this is this is a problem.
0: Yeah, I have a really hard time with deciphering environmental factors, uh, because there's it's not just CO two, right? There's a lot of different stuff, uh, pollution in like just trash pollution, also uh, like different sensitive materials, how they're mined and operated, just like. Uh, all these things, it's I don't know how to decide what's more important than the next thing. Uh, part of me believes that someone will come up with a carbon capture solution, and so maybe carbon emissions are free uh, in ten years or twenty years because they can just gather so much of it and turn it into something uh, that's not volatile or, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say. So I try not to criticize the guys using concrete too much. Um, But yeah, I mean, the alternatives are like, what, UV-cured polymers? Those aren't great for the environment either.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Like, there's not yet a real solution. Uh, And I also think it's the concrete industry's task to solve this. Like, it's not the 3D printer's task to solve it. But it's still your responsibility if you plan today with concrete and you could plan with wood. Like, it doesn't make... For sure, if you look at the environmental impact, concrete right now, is a is, is a bigger problem so um but also it's not one or the other in my opinion it only works like together also i think for example three printed concrete can solve a lot of issues that you have in 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 wood construction because you have to do uh, you have to preserve your wood through constructive me- um, measures and there three printed concrete can help a lot um, but i wouldn't put these issues too far in the future. This is also why we are working on trying to, um, for example, use uh, a, a material, carbon capturing materials in our yeah. prints and these things. Um, but, like, I'm still, I, I also don't know how to quantify it, but I also lay awake at night thinking, you know, should you really put your life into, like, concrete uh, So this is why we do so much with materials because there has, something has to change and we have to try to do it now. Yeah, I mean, as far as most of the companies I talk to, at least you're
0: doing stuff like Scare, working with the lignans and experimenting. And you seem particularly to uh, have your materials is like your realm of expertise in the industry. So uh, it's interesting talking to you about this. I really don't have any materials knowledge except for the introduction to materials I took in college. So, uh, materials is challenging do you think it's mostly unexplored
1: um mm, no i think the most money for material scientists is not in construction mm-hmm. so uh, or maybe that maybe it is unexplored because most money is in medical or in bio or you know in these types of people i get
0: what you're saying though that overall the industry is not unexplored but they've un- they've underallocated their construction uh
1: in experiments or yeah like um a material scientist would rather go to not in construction because they get paid more in other in other fields um but i think in uh, in construction you always have the problem with scale 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 scale, scale. like the coolest new material you can you can only use if it's scaled up because then it's cheap enough so that you can apply it to to the construction problem because you need so much of this material And scale always happens in the end. So um, we always get these new materials in very last. So I hope that by putting, by (laughs) problematizing this issue of construction, like um, this shift happens quicker, you know, that we can use Maybe the state helps, you know, that you can use new materials quicker. The normation and the regulations have to go down on new materials that you can apply them quickly because it's always like this in history, the real innovations are either either come from digital or come from new materials. Like new materials enable you to make new hardware, new chips, new, you know, stuff And, and- New swords in the iron age. Exactly. Like it's always material science. And I think here, especially in 3D printing, it's the art of laying materials on top of each other. And this is almost purely material science. And then of course you help a bit with some machines, but look at our gantry systems that we make for printing. It's not rocket science. It's really basic machinery that's necessary to do that.
0: Yeah, it seems the machines probably are the most uh, where they need to be in terms of, they all pretty much have millimeter accuracy. Uh, more or less, and they're precise. They they do what they're told, and so it's uh it's about telling them the right things to do.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's about like what we design and and the materials that we use. How big is your team right now? You and your uncle? Yeah. Uh, so so the my uncle is not so involved. Like we are ten uh, in the team, which is already quite a lot for me to handle. Yeah. But then we have the mothership, which they are like 250 people, nice. and they um, they help us with the developments, and they they do a lot of um, these hardcore, um, for example, the silos and these things. Like we basically discuss the ideas with them and sketch out this stuff, and then they they realize it, which is which we couldn't do with 10 people. Like you couldn't handle. Uh, development like this in so quick time we are not so old like all of this happened in the last two and a half years
0: yeah when you were studying construction automation back then what are they teaching you about like <laughs> prefabricated off-site
1: yeah robots like mostly robots mostly robotics like basically they give you a robot they they um they teach you a bit how to program it and they show you what kind of end effectors you can put on it and then you have to develop a project like, especially when you're an architect, they want you to to also design but fabrication oriented so you kind of. Already put with the mindset of later using a robot you kind of de- develop your your house similar to what we do right now with three printing where you basically yeah. you you almost don't design your house anymore, you just design paths that your gantry or your robot follows and that then later becomes a house. So
0: when you say robot, are you talking like ABB
1: or KUKA robotic arm kind of situation? Yeah, this is the best, I think, to get an understanding of how these automation things work. And what kind of tool
0: was mounted onto it? Was it an extrusion or was it pick and place kind of thing in your
1: education? So we, we use a lot of fibers. We used either cnc things for for wood or we used uh, fibers for carbon wood and flux fibers and then these were winding um extruders um to make carbon fiber elements yeah and this was quite cool like i mean you yeah
0: i saw that project long. actually where the machines automatically spiraled themselves up into the
1: columns yeah so. this is this is glass fiber yeah yeah but these were very small ones and uh, we we used like KUKA machines, sometimes two that were winding together. We made this one project where we had two robots and a drone and the drone would fly carbon fibers, to one robot and it would wind and then fly the fiber back to the other one and then would wind and, and we made like a canopy in a way. But it, it was like- to me like the
0: they were just like, listen, construction's not that automated. You guys have to figure it out.
1: Exactly. It is kind of honest. like, <laughs> look, here's some new materials, some new tech, like make something cool with it. And then- uh, Make us have funding. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And then they take your ideas and start their own businesses and stuff.
1: Yeah. I don't actually, know, maybe they, not. They, um, they have, well, there is a company that's spun out of there, which is called Fiber. They're doing um, fiber winding construction. And this is also really cool because it's so lightweight. Like carbon fiber is insane what it, what it can do structurally. And you almost don't need any of it. Um, yeah. It's one company and then we experiment a lot with hygroscopic materials like wood you know when, when you have a change in, in uh, humidity it kind of can change its shape you have this in pine cones that they open up and then there's this, there's this new company that's I forgot the name but they make now um, furniture where they basically flat ship it to you and it's just a panel and then the panel is sealed and then you open it up take the panel out and then it becomes a chair basically by itself
0: much better than assembling it with ikea by hand so annoying
1: yeah if you is that a german company yeah i think they are all based in stuttgart as far as i know shout out to stuttgart
0: (laughs) yeah i was in uh when i was in germany i went to frankfurt and then i went to uh, way south germany in the mountains uh it was yeah it's beautiful Uh, when are you
1: planning to come back I'll Europe.
0: be in Europe in 2023, uh, springtime 2023, and I'm going to, my plan at least is to ship my car there, and I'll stay for six months, and oh, I'll wow. visit every company uh, that I possibly can.
1: Okay, cool, nice. So and you're on the list for sure. Yeah, for sure. Come by, uh, you can, we have a cool new guest house. Oh, nice. Uh, which is really cool, like really nice architecture, and it's right next to the facility, so you can plan a day or two okay. maybe i'll have
0: to make you one of the last stops if i want to pick up one of those sculptures of myself
1: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah no no problem you're invited sculptures on the house <laughs>
0: no way that'd be crazy <laughs> well you have 10 people on your team now are you hiring if people are uh, looking to work with you
1: yeah we are oh, we are hiring um always talent that fits like we I know we need more. We need more expertise in construction right now because we have machine engineer, material scientists, roboticists, model makers, computational architects, designers. But there is civil engineers. But it would be cool to have. A, like we are all young and we are all into automation in construction and new materials. We kind of missing like this old school. Uh, construction guy you know that yeah that's important how, how construction works so if you are something someone like that who wants to uh check out us that that's fine but also just that people think that have the right they, they are fascinated by our projects they can apply
0: awesome man this has been really insightful i haven't uh besides enrico dini this is the only the second powder bed system that i've talked about so it's really interesting to explore new topics and see some of the possibilities especially in terms of resolution uh it really makes me think about all kinds of new possibilities and stuff so it's awesome work you're doing is there anything we didn't cover that we should touch on
1: uh, man we have so much stuff going on but maybe maybe there's enough for a uh, for second interview
0: <laughs> of course uh, i will have many more interviews i expect
1: no but i i, I want to thank you man you do a great job i've really been a follower since the early days in the uh, three printing group and it's nice to see that you're going into the new formats and also scaling up what you're doing. Really nice.
0: Yeah, cool, man. I appreciate it. It's uh, wouldn't work without what you're doing. So it's a good symbiotic thing we got going. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks, thanks later, later on. Thanks.